used that adjective fun for church. Um, it was a good church. I learned the foundations of the faith there, but I wouldn't call it fun. But on one Sunday, they let us have a costume party. Now, that was a big deal for our church at the time. We got to dress up as a costume, uh, in a costume, but I only had one problem. I didn't know what to dress up as. And so back then, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have the Marvel characters, at least I didn't know about them, I didn't read the comic books, and so uh, I would probably today dress up as Captain America, but that wasn't an option. Thor wasn't an option, still not an option, because I don't have his wonderful muscles. Um, and so I couldn't think of what to do, and and so I went to my dad. It had to be church appropriate. I couldn't dress in anything scary. And I asked him, I was like, Dad, what should I dress up as? What should I dress up like? And my dad, being clever like he is, he, he had me dress up something like this. Here's what I looked like. I was the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. And so I wanted to share that with you, number one, just in case this year you're wondering what should I do for Halloween. Here's an option. Uh, And number two, to introduce us to our topic today. Today we are going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. We're continuing our series called This I Believe, where we're talking about some of the foundational truths that, uh, that Talk about that we talk about in Christianity, and and the topic today we're going to focus on is the Holy Spirit. Uh, it comes from our Core Fifty Two book. We still have some of those available, but Chapter Thirty Seven, Core Fifty Two, we focus on the topic of the Holy Spirit. And so, this we believe the Holy Spirit matters. Here at Berlin Christian Church, we believe the Holy Spirit matters. In fact, one of our core values, one of our seven core values, is that we value the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you go into our fellowship hall after the service today, you'll see a big sign on the wall that says we value the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But why? Why do we value the ministry of the Holy Spirit? And before we talk about that, I just want to answer the question, uh, who is God? Because uh, this is foundational for us in understanding the Holy Spirit. Well, who is God? We believe as Christians that God is three capital P persons in one being. So uh, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Three in one being. I asked Philip how to sign that. It's just one, two, three, three in one. One, two, three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit in one. That is what we call the Trinity. And so... uh, what typically happens for us when we talk about God is that we focus on the first two persons of the Trinity. A lot of the time we'll talk about the Father. We typically will pray to the Father. Or a lot of times we'll talk about the Son. We will talk about Jesus. And here at Berlin Christian Church, we are unapologetic. We will talk about Jesus all the time because He is our Savior. He is our Redeemer. And He is our King. But what so often happens as Christians is that we neglect or we even forget about the Holy Spirit. So much so that there's an author, Francis Chan, he wrote a book called The Forgotten God, and it's all about the Holy Spirit because too often we neglect Him. And that's crazy because from the very first page of the Bible, we see that the Spirit is present. If you turn your Bibles to the very first uh, chapter of the Bible, you will see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit is present. So you probably know Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. But then listen to what verse 2 says. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God was hovering over 
the waters. And so from the very beginning, the first page of the Bible, all throughout the Bible, we see that the Holy Spirit is present and moving and working in the plan of God because He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But why does He matter today? Why does He matter to you? Why does He matter to me? Well, I think the Holy Spirit actually helps us answer three foundational questions that I believe uh, most of us, if not every single one of us, ask at some point in our lives. The three questions are, one, am I loved? Am I loved? Number two, can I change? Can I change? And number three, do I have a purpose? And I think the Holy Spirit helps us answer every single one of those questions. Let's look at the first question, am I loved? The Holy Spirit answers that question with an emphatic yes. Yes, you are loved. Yes, I am loved by God. And the Holy Spirit, he helps us to know this intellectually, but to also know it deep down in our bones. He helps us to experience the Father's love. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Romans chapter 5. Uh, We're going to begin in verse 1 of Romans 5. And if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay. We'll have it on the screen. But in Romans chapter 5, Paul is writing to this church in Rome. And when he gets to chapter 5, he begins to talk about the implications of the gospel, the benefits of the good news of Jesus Christ, how Jesus has died for our sins and resurrected from the grave. And he's beginning to talk about the benefits that we have now through when we trust in Jesus. And he begins by talking about how we have peace with God. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, or that's just a fancy way of saying that now we have been declared righteous in God's eyes through trusting in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And so what Paul is saying here is that when we trust in Jesus, we have this amazing change of status. No longer are we God's enemies, but now we are on God's team. We actually have access to a loving Father. Later in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, Paul will tell us that the Holy Spirit actually confirms to us that we are God's children, and we have access to Him as a loving Father, not a distant, abusive Father. Not a father who's always criticizing you. Not a father who's always away on business trips. No, you have access to a loving father who is present to you at all times. Paul continues to talk about the implications of the gospel in verse 3. And he says, not only so, not only do we, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, but we also glory in our sufferings. That's kind of a weird statement. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so what Paul is saying here is that there's a grittiness to Christians. That when we trust in Jesus, even our sufferings can be used for good, just like our Savior's was. Our Savior's sufferings were turned from this horrible moment on the cross to be the redemption of all people. And what Paul is reminding us, is telling us, is that our sufferings actually can be used by God to produce good. They produce in us character and perseverance and hope. And then Paul says this in verse 5, and I want you to hold on to this verse for the rest of today. Here's what he says, verse 5, and hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's 
love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is the first mention of God's love in the book of Romans, and it's going to be a theme that continues throughout. But what Paul wants us to know is that the Holy Spirit helps us to feel God's love, to experience God's love in our hearts. Because as children of God, we no longer have to live in shame any longer. The problem is that we so often stay living in shame. I have way too many friends that I know who try and find love through sexual satisfaction. They go from girl to girl to girl or guy to guy to guy to try and feel loved, but they always end up empty. I know other friends who they try and feel loved by just following their feelings. If they just follow their feelings, then at the end of those feelings will be love, but those end up empty as well. My personal way to try and feel loved is to succeed to do a good job, to be successful, and then, maybe then I can feel loved, but every single time it comes up empty. Every single one of these coping mechanisms, they end up empty. And rather than living in love, we live in shame. But what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you and for me is to help us internalize God's love, to actually know and feel that God loves us. I love what the pastor and author Dave Ortland says in his new book, Gentle and Lowly. Here's what he says about the Holy Spirit. He says, The Spirit makes the heart of Christ real to us, not just heard, but seen. Not just seen, but felt. Not just felt, but enjoyed. The Holy Spirit helps us to feel and enjoy God's love for us. It's like going outside on a sunny day and feeling the sun on our skin. The Holy Spirit wants you to feel and experience God's love for you. And I don't think it's a coincidence that three verses later, Paul reminds us, he tells us how we can know for sure that God loves us. Because I think so often in our culture today, we we think to ourselves, God couldn't love me. He couldn't love me with my past. He couldn't love me with my shame. He couldn't love me with all the mistakes I've made. But listen to what Paul says only three verses later. He says this in verse 8. He says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Holy Spirit wants to remind you of that truth over and over and over again until you truly believe it. Not just in your head but also in your heart. The Holy Spirit wants to remind you that you are loved, that you are worthy, that you are valuable. Am I loved? The Holy Spirit emphatically says, yes, you are loved. In my own relationship with Jesus, um, I don't normally hear an audible voice from God. I don't hear this booming voice from heaven go, Michael, do this do that. That's just not the way God works for me, and I don't think he he normally works like that for most people. Instead, in my relationship with Jesus, it's more of a nudging, like this feeling to go talk to this person, this feeling to invite this person over for dinner, this this feeling to, to just pray for someone. But sometimes when I just quiet myself, after I, I read the scriptures and, and I pray, I just, I'm quiet. 
And if I do feel like God is saying anything to me, here's what he said consistently over the years. Three words, three simple yet profound words. All he says is, I love you. And some of you, you need to hear that today. You need to feel the Holy Spirit remind you that you are loved. When I think about the idea of feeling God's love for us through the Holy Spirit, I'm reminded of my uncle. We, we have a, what's called a hen and Christmas in our household. And so my dad, he has four brothers. And so for our hen and Christmases, we would get all together with all the brothers and all of our families and we would, we would celebrate Christmas together. And this particular year, I think I was only 12 or 13 years old, uh, but we were having Christmas at one uncle's house who that year, we didn't know if they were going to get a divorce. Their marriage was rocky, and we were pretty sure that they were going to get a divorce, but he ended up giving his life to Jesus, and that miraculously healed their marriage. It wasn't easy, but it helped heal it. And I remember that just before we uh, eat dinner, we, we normally pray, most of my family, they're Christians, we come from a Christian background, and so uh, just before we're about to pray, you know, I'm a 12-year-old boy, I'm not really paying attention, and my uncle, he begins to pray, and I'll never forget the tears in his eyes as he thanked Jesus for his love. He couldn't even finish the prayer. Because he was so transformed by the presence of God's love. Some of you just need to feel that God loves you. You know it in your brain, but you don't know it in your heart. And so maybe for you, all you need to do for the rest of this morning is to quit listening to me and just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to know, to feel that God loves you. Am I loved? The Holy Spirit says emphatically, yes, you are loved. But the second question that I think the Holy Spirit helps us to answer is the question, can I change? Can I change? And once again, the Holy Spirit answers emphatically, yes, you can change. I think deep down inside every single one of us, we have this desire to change, to be transformed, to be someone better, to be someone new. I think that's why as kids we, we play and we act like we're someone else. For me, when I was playing basketball, I thought I was Kobe Bryant out there. But for some of you, maybe you're, you act like you were the, a superhero or maybe a princess, a king, or a queen. But I think that shows that deep down every single one of us has this desire to change. Even the people who say, you know what, I'm old school. I don't want to change. I'm stuck in my ways. Really? Really, you don't want to change at all. I've been to a lot of funerals in my life, and what I like to do at those funerals is just listen. Listen to the conversations that that people are having about the person who's passed away. And normally there are, there's laughter and there's tears. There's things like uh, giving thanks for the life that they had and also grieving the person that they've lost. But never have I heard a conversation that sounded something like this. Yeah, old John Smith. John Smith, he just never wanted to change. John Smith, he, he just wanted to be a terrible, horrible human being, and by golly, he did it. He was terrible. He didn't change at all. I think I never heard one of those conversations and never will hear one of those conversations because I think deep down, even if we don't show it on the outside, we all want to change, to be someone better, 
We just don't know how. And thankfully for us, the Holy Spirit, He wants us to change, and He will help us to change. We hear about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It'll be on the screen, but here's what Paul says in this letter to these Corinthians. He says, now the Lord is the Spirit. So just pause there. What, what he's saying there is that the Spirit is God. So the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, we, we contemplate the Lord's glory. We, we look at the Lord's glory, and we are being transformed into the, His image with ever-increasing joy, glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so what Paul is saying here is that as Christians, we no longer have to see God with a veil in between us. Instead, now we can see God face to face in the person of Jesus. And when we do that, we are changed to become more like him. I think it's important for us to look at these verses and ask the question, what do we do and what does the Holy Spirit do? If you look up at verse 18, it tells us what do we do? Well, we contemplate the Lord's glory. That word contemplate was used in the Greco-Roman world to stare deeply at something, often a reflection. It reminds me of the, the Greek myth Narcissus. The story says that Narcissus, he was, he was walking one day by a body of water and he looks over and he sees his reflection on the water. And he's intrigued by what he sees. And so he goes back over to the water and he begins to look at himself. And he keeps looking at himself. And he keeps looking at himself. He looks at his own reflection until he dies. By the way, that's where we get our word narcissistic from. And that is the exact opposite of what Paul is telling us to do. He's not saying, hey, look at your own reflection. He's saying, look at the reflection of God in the person of Jesus. And in a world that is narcissistic like ours and is so self-centered, maybe what we need to do is spend a little less time looking in the mirror and a lot more time looking to Jesus. Our role in transformation is to contemplate, to look at the glory of Jesus. But notice in verse 18, notice what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the one who does what he does best. He's the one who transforms us into the image of God. He's the one who changes us from the inside out. And throughout the Bible, he does this in a lot of different ways. In, in some places, he regenerates our dead hearts so that we will be alive again. In other places, he convicts us of sin. In other places, he comforts us when we are hurting Sometimes he leads us into what to say and other times into what to do. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to change because he wants us to change. And he, he begins to cultivate in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit does the transforming, not you and not me. And in our self-help culture, pull, your bootstrap, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can figure this out. You can be better. This is good news for us. Because we don't have to worry so much about being better. Instead, we can spend our time contemplating, looking to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will change us. I believe this helps lead us to freedom. We're not so strapped down by legalism of just trying to be better. Anytime I try to be more patient, I'm way more frustrated if I try and do it on my own strength. The Holy Spirit, though, He wants to change us. And He will help 
change us, if we give him permission to, if we continue contemplating on the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. One of the prayers that has helped me to do this in my own journey is a simple prayer that I learned from a professor of mine at Ozark Christian College, Shane Wood. It's a very simple prayer, and here it is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I give you permission to enter into every area of my life. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I give you permission to enter into every area of my life, to enter into my marriage, to enter into my parenting, to enter into my schoolwork, to enter into my sports. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I give you permission to enter into every area of my life. I want to challenge you this week to pray this prayer every day. Just to begin praying this prayer and to stop for a minute every day and pray it. And just see by the end of the week what amazing things the Holy Spirit might do in your heart. I truly believe that not only does the Holy Spirit want you to know that you are loved, the Holy Spirit wants to change you and me and help us to become more like Jesus. Am I loved? The Holy Spirit says yes. Can I change? The Holy Spirit says yes with my help. And the last question I think the Holy Spirit helps us answer is, do I have a purpose? Do I have a purpose? And once again, the Holy Spirit says emphatically, yes, you have a purpose. And if you read through the book of Acts, our purpose is to be a witness to Jesus, to be his witnesses no matter where we are, to tell other people about him. I mentioned Francis Chan earlier. I loved how he says uh, what the purpose of life is. He says, the point of life is to point to him. The point of life is to point to him. And the only way that we can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do this on our own. We can't fulfill the great commission of going and making more disciples all over the world without the help of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this to his disciples in Acts chapter 1. This is after Jesus has died on the cross. He has risen from the dead and he spent 40 days talking with his disciples about the kingdom of God and he is about to ascend into heaven. These are some of his last words. Last words are important. And here's what he tells his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It's one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. He says this, but you will receive power, power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So the Holy Spirit equals power. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you read through the book of Acts, you see that this is exactly what happens. In the next chapter, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes powerfully on the disciples. And, and they begin to tell people the good news of Jesus. And so from Acts chapter 2 all the way to Acts chapter 7, they spend their time in Jerusalem telling people about Jesus. And then the next chapter, Acts 8 through Acts chapter 12, they go to Judea and Samaria. And with the boldness of the Holy Spirit, they tell people about Jesus there. And then Acts chapter 13 through the rest of the book, they begin telling people all over the world about the good news of Jesus. This is only possible because the disciples have been given the Holy Spirit to live inside of them, God's personal presence, so that they can have power and boldness to tell people about Jesus. And what I love is that this promise for the Holy Spirit, this promise for the power of God is not just for the earliest disciples, it's for you and it's for me. It's for power for us to be witnesses in our homes, in our schools, at our jobs, 
to be witnesses to Jesus wherever we are. We have a purpose to tell people about Jesus. And what we find later in the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit not only comes to us with power, but he actually has uniquely gifted every single one of us with spiritual gifts. Every single one of us has been given gifts by the Spirit of God so that we can continue moving the mission of God forward. You can read about these spiritual gifts in a couple different places. You can, uh, Romans chapter 12 is one place, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, the Apostle Paul, he's kind of summing up the purpose of these gifts. And here's what he says, verse 7. Now to each one, to each person, the manifestation or the gift of the Spirit is given for the common good. What he's saying there is that every single one of us has been uniquely gifted by the Spirit of God to continue moving the mission forward, to make Jesus famous. And I think sometimes, I just want to take a step back, because I think sometimes when we think about spiritual gifts and moving the mission forward, we think about people like Peter and John and Paul, these these guys who were preachers for the gospel, or or maybe even people like me and Warren who who come up here on stage and, and preach to you. And you're like, that's a spiritual gift. But if you read through the book of Acts, there are so many other people with so many other gifts that move the mission forward. Not just the preachers and teachers. You hear about people like Philip. Philip probably had a gift of evangelism. He wanted to share about Jesus with other people. But he also had a heart for the poor and the widowed. We hear about other people like like Barnabas. Barnabas had the gift of encouragement. He was the guy who would put his arm around you and walk with you and encourage you. You would never talk with someone like a Barnabas and leave feeling bad about yourself. You would always feel better. There's other people like Lydia who probably had the gift of generosity and hospitality who opened up her home to people and later they founded a church through her house. Or there's people like Aquila and Priscilla who they would put their arms around new believers and help teach them the way of Jesus. They'd say, hey, watch how I walk with Jesus and learn from me. Every single one of these people had a unique, specific role in moving the mission of God forward. And the same is true for you and for me. Every single one of us, we have a unique role. We have been given a specific gift from the Holy Spirit to help make Jesus's name famous. How has he gifted you? In 1961, JFK became the youngest president of the United States of America. And if you want to learn more about JFK, just talk to Jack Natmeyer. I guarantee he knows way more about JFK than I do. Uh, But on January 20th, uh, 1961, JFK was going to give his inaugural speech. And on that day, it was a freezing cold day. There was snow. It was about 20 degrees. And so he didn't want to keep on just talking and talking. He wanted it to be short and sweet. And so he delivered a message that was only 1,355 words. To put that in context, that's probably about a third of the words that I've used up here today. Some of you are like, should have been more like JFK. Just, we're almost done. So... So out of those 1,355 words came some of the most memorable words that we've ever heard from a president. He said these words, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. 
Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And I think that's a question that we can take and put it into the context of a capital C church. Ask not what the church can do for you. Ask what you can do for the capital C church to continue moving the mission of God forward, to continue making the name of Jesus famous. Maybe you're like Lydia, and you have the gift of hospitality and generosity. What does that look like for you? Or maybe you have the gift like Philip. You just have a heart for the poor and the widowed. Maybe that means you, you go and you mow a, a widow's lawn. Others of you, you're kind of like Priscilla and Aquila. You have this gift to help people learn about Jesus. And so maybe that means you put your arm around a new believer, whether it's a teenager or an adult or a young kid, and you say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Every single one of us has a purpose and has been uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to continue moving the mission of God forward. What does that look like for you? I believe the Holy Spirit helps us to answer those three foundational questions. Am I loved? Yes, you are. Can I change? Yes, you are. Do I have a purpose? Yes, you do. And if I could boil down this whole sermon into one sentence, it's this. The Holy Spirit wants to do an amazing work in you and through you. The Holy Spirit wants to do an amazing work in you and through you. He wants to do an amazing work in us and through us. But we have to answer two questions. Will we listen to the Holy Spirit and give him permission to work through us? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much that you remind us that we are loved, that we do have a purpose and that we can change. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would change us from the inside out and We pray that if there's any of those who have anxiety right now, that you would give them peace. If there's any of us who are fearful, that you would help us to live bold lives for you. We thank you for how you're always moving and working, even in ways that we can't see. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Thank you for your son, Jesus, and that he's the one who makes all of this possible through his sacrifice on the cross. It's in your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.